Good morning. It's good to be here. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And welcome to all of you who are in the room this morning, to those of you who are wherever you are in the States, around the world, uh, welcome. <clears throat> if you're following along, we are on a journey through the letter that Paul wrote to the first Corinthians. This morning we're in chapter three. I invite you to go there if you have a Bible or a way to follow. 1988 or 89, uh, at the annual gathering, it was annual back then, of the leadership of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, the conference happened in Rochester, New York, and I will never forget the, the pastor who spoke the first message of, of the week, Sundar Krishnan. He was a pastor at the time in Canada, and his opening illustration I've never forgot. He told a story about at that time he was serving in the district where he worked as part of the License and Ordinating Committee, a group of people that helps people who are in the process of preparing for ministry on that step in the journey. And at the end of that journey, there is with this committee an oral examination. So he was telling the story about one of the young pastors that came for his oral examination. And because it is part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, if you've been around a while, you know that, that Sanctification is a really important piece. Sanctification is, is just a big theological word to describe, to, to describe the transformation, the growth, that is simply a natural progression for someone who has come into a relationship with Jesus. So some of the questions, of course, were about that. And this young pastor came in prepared. He had like a 15, 20-page document that he had written about sanctification and the agency of God in sanctification and the agency of humans and all. So he beautifully and eloquently shares his, his work with this committee. At the end of his presentation, uh, one of the men at the table said, wow, that, that was really beautiful. Can, can I just ask you a question? He said, sure. He said, if I was to ask your wife, like, what is it like to live with you in the house where you live? What, what would she say? Ah. Um, he said, I paused for a long time. He said, yeah, I don't think that would be a good idea. <laughs> Why? Well, he said, in, in truth, I, I really struggle with anger, and sometimes my anger just gets the best of me, and he describes what the scenes look like, and, and he finished his description, and the man who asked the question said, hey, what do you see as the relationship with what you just described to us and, and what you presented to us about the sanctifying work of God? How do those two go together? Great question. And that is what 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is about. One of the metaphors that you hear people use when they talk about spiritual life, about the journey of faith, is the word growth. Entering into a relationship with God is not a stagnant thing. It's a, it's a living thing. It's a living relationship, and stuff, anything that's living by nature grows. That's true physically. 
When a child doesn't grow, it's a cause of concern. In fact, when you ask a parent of a little shaver, hey, how old is he? Wow. They not only tell you the kid's age, but he's in the 49.3% and his age, his weight, his, like it's important. <laughs> if the child doesn't grow, that's problematic. And Paul is saying, writing to this church and saying, I'm concerned that I don't see growth. Now, Paul is the apostle. He's writing to a group of people in Corinth that he knew and loved. He's not writing a letter to somebody he'd heard about online. He's writing to people that he knew their names. He knew their children's names. Some of them, he had walked them into faith. And now, three years later, he's heard news from passers-by that, that the church in Corinth is, is walking through some really difficult times, a lot of disunity and some behavioral things that are just not honoring. And so he writes this letter, and as uh, Pastor Jonathan pointed out a few weeks ago, he starts very graciously. In the face of all these problems, he greets them warmly, and he talks about the, their faith. But in chapter 3, he, he kind of takes his gloves off and speaks a little more boldly and actually bluntly. Really, what he says in chapter 3 is quite simple. And in fact, I could paraphrase it for you in one phrase. Simply this. Grow up. You've been given everything that you need in Christ to prosper, mature, and grow, and you're acting like spiritual babies. So I thought, well, maybe I'll just leave that with you this morning, and then Pastor Jonathan can come and clean up afterwards. <laughs> but <laughs> since I still have a few minutes, let's launch in together. This is the way Paul says it, verse 1, chapter 3. He says this, so brothers and sisters, I, I could address you as spiritual people, but I can't. Instead, I have to address you as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. That's where he's going. I remember growing up, there was five of us in my family, and in our house, there was always a door, like a door frame, where we would go and we would back up to the frame and we would measure ourselves, and then you mark. And I was the youngest son, so that was really important to me. So you, you walk over and you... Without standing on your tiptoes, you try to get as high as you can. And when I got taller than my brothers, they stopped doing it. <laughs> it's important. But when we had children, we thought, well, we're going to do the same thing. But it was complicated because we moved all the time. And you keep taking the door frame out of people's houses. They don't appreciate it. So we just had this chart that we took everywhere with us. And you... Every few months, you measure and you put the date. That, Am I getting taller yet? Well, that's a question that Paul is asking in their spiritual maturity. And the, the way that he pictures their, their immaturity is the absence of unity among them. In fact, he talks about spiritual immaturity that it, it kind of looks like the absence of unity. That living in unity is one of the evidences of the Spirit's life in us. Walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit of God, 
always leads to unity. That's where he's taking us. And that's not what's happening. Paul does not encourage them to seek unity. He doesn't say, hey, figure out how to be unified. He says to them, go after Christ. And if you follow Christ, you're going to land in unity. How do you measure spiritual growth? How does it happen? Is it God that does it? Is it us that does it? Those are the right questions. Paul, in this chapter, says that there's things that sometimes we confuse with spiritual maturity that, that may be or may not be. That's, that's really not how it's measured. He said, your, your growth is not measured by your giftedness. That all of us, by God's grace, have been given certain gifts. Things that he entrusted to us to use for him. And in this church, there was some really amazingly gifted people. But being gifted doesn't ensure maturity. In fact, people who are really gifted and immature can be problematic. And that's what was happening in Corinth. Another thing that he talks about is biblical knowledge. That, that simple knowledge of biblical information is no guarantee of maturity. Now, hear me right. If you want to grow in faith, one of the, the markers on that road is an engagement with the written word, the revealed word of God. There's no way around it. However, knowing lots about that doesn't ensure spiritual growth. In fact, people with a lot of biblical knowledge and not a lot of maturity are often more annoying than helpful. Like, this is not about learning Bible facts. This is about learning how to live in the Spirit of God. It goes through a number of things. He lands in a couple metaphors, images that he uses to describe what their immaturity looks like and what maturity looks like. Now, if Paul was a good American, he would have just done a PowerPoint for us. The problem here, you're not growing. Let me lay it out for you. Step one, step two, here's what you do, here's what you read. That's not how he does it. He, he, he uses metaphors, he uses pictures, because he doesn't want you to know about what he's talking about. He wants you to feel it, so that something inside of you desires something more. So he uses three pictures. First picture of spiritual life he uses is, you know what, if you're 15 years old and you're still feeding at your mom's breast, that, that might be a problem. We, we, we need to look at that. If you grow physically, at some point you move from milk to meat. And I'm still feeding you spiritual milk. We, we, we need to, that's the first image. Second image he talks about is, he compares the, the body of Jesus to a field. Like it's this harvest that God is preparing, this crop that's, and, and everybody has a part in it. Some people water, some people plant, some people cultivate. The, all of that together is what makes the beauty of this picture. The last picture he uses, he talks about the church as a building. That each of us has a part in the building. Some lay foundation. Some put the... 
just pictures of what this would look like. So the question I'm asking this morning are what are the metrics of faith, of spiritual life? Like, how do you measure? Am I getting taller yet? To do that, I want to look at these three pictures. If you follow the, the, the whole letter of, of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks first about unity. That's where we are now. He's talking about the importance of being unified in Christ. Then he's going to talk about some, some sexual things that were happening in their community that needed to be addressed. And then he talks about giftedness, about how that all fits together. And, and then he gets to chapter 13, and this is where he lands. He said, you can have all of those things. You can be really gifted. You can speak prophetic words. You can see healings happen. You can do this, this, and this. But if you don't love, add it all up, it comes to zero. What this is about is learning to take what God has entrusted to us and love. And then he finishes the chapter, chapter 13, with these words. He says this. Sometimes now when we look at faith and we look at God and we look at life, we have the impression that we're looking in a mirror and it's like a mirror that your shower was too hot and it's all steamed up and you can see the form, but you can't see the details. And he said, that's kind of how we see right now because we can't see God in all of his fullness, but the day is coming when the mirror is going to be clean and we're going to see him face to face. But he said, until that day, when you move aside everything, when the wind blows and the trials come, there's only three things that are going to be strong enough to stand. Faith, hope, and love. So somehow, the metrics of what it means to grow in, in Christ is to see those things in my life Prosper, Because those are the things of God's kingdom. Those are the things that are eternal. First picture, calling them to grow in their faith. Learning to trust when you can't see. This is how he says it. Verse, I believe it's around verse 3, it says this. As long as you grab for what makes you feel good or makes you look important... Are you really much different than a babe at the breast? Content only when everything's going your way. When one of you says, oh no, I'm, I'm on Paul's side. And another one says, oh no, 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 I'm for Apollos. Aren't you being totally childish? What is he saying? Well, he's saying that babies are not equipped with the capacity to wait. That's not something they came into the world with. So when they want something, they're pretty clear on what they want, and they're pretty good at letting you know that they want. And if they don't get what they want, you'll hear about it. No problem. They're babies. But he said, the same is true in, in, in spiritual life, that part of Growing in faith is learning to wait on God. The writer to the Hebrews says this. He says, 
Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Like you can do all kinds of things, but if, if you don't trust him, he's not saying faith is about believing a certain, he's saying God is inviting us to trust him, and without that, that's what he's asking of us. Rob Reamer says, the question that we're asking often of God is, is do you really love me? Do you love me? And the question that God is asking us is, hey, do you trust me? The milk and the meat that he talks about, they're not, he's not talking about different teachings, like the meat is this esoteric knowledge that only a few people can grab onto. It's the same gospel, the same Christ. The difference between the milk and the meat is in the understanding of the, the receiver, the faith. So, Christianity 101, Jesus died for my sins, to pay for my sins, to forgive me. Milk, that's basic. Paul goes on to say that he didn't die for my sins, that, that in that event, I died with him. I've been raised with him. I am dead now to my sin and alive in Christ. Same truth. But it takes longer to chew on and, and to swallow and to grasp. So the writer of the Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then he goes on to say this. Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe that God exists. In the NIV, it says that, that God is the one who is the creator. He, he's the founder of all of this. So he says, what does faith look like? Well, the milk of faith is that if you're going to approach God, you need to believe that he exists and that he's God. Then he goes on to say this. He says, must believe that God exists and that he rewards all those who trust him, that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. Well, what's it saying? That the people who learn through the trials and the, the difficulties and the suffering that sometimes the ways of God don't look like our ways, but he's good. So when somebody stands up and says, wow, man, I, I, there's this promotion at work and I prayed about it and, and I got the promotion. And my kids applied to this college and this college and, and they got in. Man, I just want to praise God. God is good. What they're saying is true. But what if God didn't do those things? Then what would he be? When somebody like Fanny Crosby stands up, Fanny Crosby probably wrote more hymns and worship in the English language than maybe anybody who's ever lived. At six years of age, she was wrongly treated for a, 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 something that was in her eyes and the treatment blinded her for life. But out of the soul, out of the heart of this woman, 
came some of the most beautiful praise. She's the one that wrote, to God be the glory, great things he has done, so loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life in atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may come in. One day a pastor said to her, oh, it's just such a sad thing that God chose to not give you sight. Think of what you could have done if you could see. And she said, oh, contraire. That's the greatest gift I've ever received. She said, when I finally see, the first sight that I'm going to see is the face of my Savior. When Fanny Crosby says, wow, God is good. That's faith. That's what faith looks like. And it takes a lifetime to learn. A lot of us, in, in the progress of our faith, we, we get stuck in certain places where if we're honest with ourselves, yeah, I, I believe God, I believe what he said, I believe I'm just having trouble right now trusting him. I mean, I asked him to, to heal my child, and, and he didn't. And I asked him, I'm struggling in my marriage, I've been crying out to God, but it just doesn't seem like he's listening We all go through those moments. And it's there that our faith, the Bible says, is refined and, and perfected. You getting taller yet? I hope that I am growing in faith. It takes a lifetime. One of the ways I measure it in my own life is that I'm hoping that when something comes along in our path, Ellen and I, and trial, whatever, that the distance between that event and coming back to gratitude gets shorter and shorter. Paul says you need to grow in faith. Secondly, he says you need to grow in love. You need to see people differently. That if there's going to be unity, you need to see people with the eyes of Christ. This is the way he says it. He says, we each carried out, he's talking about Apollos and Cephas and the leaders in this church. He said, we each carried out our servant assignment. I planted the seed, Apollos watered, he watered the plants, but God is the one who made it grow. It's not the one who plants or the one who waters who is at the center of this process. It's God. It's him that makes things Grow, And then he goes on to say they're planting and watering. They're just servants' jobs at minimum wage. What makes them worth doing is the God that we are serving. What he's saying is that if the gospel is true, then fundamentally it should change the way we perceive and live with the people we live with. In Jesus' family, there is no distinction between anybody. Everybody in the family came into the family 100% by grace. So nobody, Paul says in Ephesians, has anything to boast about. That's, that's the truth. But for us humans, that's really hard because it doesn't look like that anywhere that we live. There's really important people and there's people that aren't so important. That's just life. And Paul is saying, 
That's not how it works in this family. I love the way C.S. Lewis says it. He says it like this. It is with awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all our friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are really no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, those are all mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. It closes with these words. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Those are heavy words. Paul says that as we grow in, in, in life in the spirit, he begins to change the way that we see people. The milk is that God has given gifts to all of us. That's a gift, whatever that is for you. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. Milk. The meat is that the importance is not the gift. The importance is not the visibility of your service or the invisibility. It's your willingness to do what God has gifted you and asked of you in a sacrificial, loving way. It's there that we learn to love. I love the way one commentary put it. He said it like this. In a biblical church structure, the highest rank that anyone can achieve in the church is servant. And everyone has the same rank. The value of our gifts is simply in our willingness to use them for the good of our brothers and sisters. So, Stated concretely. Am I getting taller yet? Am I growing in, in the love of Christ? This is the way he paints it. Paul is an apostle. That was what God gifted him and called him to do. And it cost him dearly to do it. For him, he looked at it as, that, that's just out of love for Christ. But all of us have received gifts. Some, some people in this room this morning have the gift of leadership. If, if that's your gift, it's not yours. God gave it to you, not so that you could have this post or this post, but so that you could serve others who need help with direction and vision. If he gifted you in administration, if he gifted you with resources, whatever it is, it's so that through that, you could learn to express the love of the Heavenly Father. I heard a story this week that was profoundly touching. Somebody in our extended family, the church that they attend a few years ago, opened their doors to a middle-aged uh, single mom who was looking for asylum. The place that she came from, uh, her faith was cause of, of a lot of difficulty in her life and she was coming to the state seeking asylum. This church became a place that she landed and that opened their doors to her beautiful stories of different things that, that this church family did. 
few weeks ago, the thought of uh, she's doing her nursing degree, working uh, in the medical field, and, and decided she wanted to try to purchase a small home for her and her boys. Somebody in the church offered to help with the down payment. Now, if you met this person, uh, just an everyday, very modest person, but who sensed, who just has this beautiful gift of generosity and just sensed that God wanted her to bless this woman. And so she gave her a sum of money as a down payment on a house. And I'm not going to tell you what the sum was, but it was a big sum of money. This woman goes to the bank, gets set up for a loan, and, and the guy's asking questions about her salary. Or what, do you, what, what do you have for a down payment? Well, this is the amount. And that's coming from where? Well, this single mom just started to weep thinking about this woman who just, with no strings attached, no, asked for nothing in return, gave her this money for a down payment. When she explained it to the banker, he's got tears in his eyes. He's like, I've been doing this for years. I have never seen this. Like, who does this? That's the right question. Who does those things? It's people in whom Jesus lives. And that's what Paul says it should look like when a whole bunch of people grow in the spirit, it becomes this beautiful picture of the love of the Heavenly Father. I'm going to leave you with the last point in your notes. The last point is about hope. And if I don't talk about it, you're going to say, well, you're leaving us with no hope. <laughs> Let me just conclude with these thoughts. Am I getting taller yet? How, how do you measure that? Well, Paul is saying that you measure that by these faith and hope and love growing, the wisdom of the world would say that our growth is measured by our notoriety, our position, our achievements, our knowledge. He's saying, but the wisdom of God is not like the wisdom of the world. Our growth is measured by our deepening union with Jesus and the evidence of that in our lives. Sobering, because he says in the text that the day is coming when what we did will be measured. And the measure of God, uh, I, I was a pastor and a missionary. Yeah, big deal. Did, did you love people? Did, did, you, did you trust me? It, those are the things that are evidence of his spirit living in me. And those are the questions. And he said, there's people that are going to build with wood, hay, and stubble, and it's going to get burned up. What's wood, hay, and stubble? It's when you try to use human things to build spiritual things. Doesn't work. But he said, the people who build with gold and stone, that's going to last forever. He's not talking about gold and stone. He's talking about faith and hope and love. The people around you, around me, around us, long to see pictures like this of the God who gave himself for them.
Jesus, thank you. This morning we celebrated the unbelievable gift of forgiveness that was given to us, not because of something that we did or something that we earned, but simply by the grace of the Heavenly Father sending His Son to die for us. I ask that you, in these weeks, as we, we walk through these words of the Apostle Paul, that, that you would stir in us deep longing to grow, to, to desire you, to, to trust you, to that this church would be accused by people on the outside like those people exaggerate. They just love each other. May we be accused of such things. Not for the glory of this church or for the glory of somebody here, but for the glory of the one who loved us long before we knew his name. In Jesus' name and his reputation to answer prayer. Amen.